Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright from the State Department. Today we're talking about Minute 33, which begins with Steve and Peggy sharing a look and ends with the senator judging Steve for his size. Joining us on the show again today and the rest of the week, Matthew Costello, back again, author of Secret Identity Crisis. Welcome back, Matthew. Thank you very much. So glad to be here. Uh, this is a fun minute. We're talking. A little, we're finally getting to kind of do some exploration here in the Rebirth Lab. Um, what were you thinking when you first saw this and you kind of saw the set and everything that they had created for the film? I actually love this set. Um, I think this lab is absolutely gorgeous. That whole bank of of supposed computers or whatever electronics on the wall, the dials you got to turn, the the lost in space tapes going back and forth, the lights, everything. Um, I particularly like the uh, the cylinder that they put Steve in. Joe Johnson argued that, that they specifically wanted to create a set that looked like the 1940s vision of the future. They didn't want it to be futuristic. They wanted it to be 1940s futuristic. And so the set designers were were brilliant on this with all those that the colors, I believe you've mentioned before, and the that sort of sleek roundedness to things that was very common. I, I I thought this was really a very wonderful set. I thought it was a wonderful set. Very kind of Walt Disney Tomorrowland sort of vibe, where it's kind of like you know the the future, but you know it's not necessarily like the real future, but the, what it could be, and it has kind of that that vibe to it, where things just seem uh, futuristic, but from that '40s perspective. I really enjoy that. <laughs> right, it's the future yesterday. Still think you're going to have a jetpack and cars that fly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Howard Stark is perfect. Uh, Howard Stark is, of course, in the background. If you are looking carefully, I do like how this lab, the way that it's set up is cool. You already talked about a lot of it, but it has like a, almost like a level around the edges in some of the spots where it's below, like it kind of a ha- like three or four steps down for more computers and things. And, and so there's just so much stuff going on here. Again, hard to pinpoint all of the people that we have here. There are so many people um, that are that are just background actors in this scene. The only two that are credited, and uh, you know, we'll try to point them out when they pop up. I'm not exactly sure yet, but we have an SSR doctor played by Richard Freeman and the Project Rebirth nurse, Catherine Press. She is, of course, somebody we will be seeing uh, in the next couple minutes. Uh, so they're wandering around in the background at this point. Um, but, uh, yeah, Pete, what did you think when you saw this? Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting about the set is that it's actually, I mean, as much as it feels, it's kind of a trick. It's a, it's a, it's a Trump loy because it's, it feels like it's so perfect for, for exactly what it is, but it's designed for the camera, not for the lab because all of the banks of computers and everything are facing away from the central lab protagonist, the capsule right in the middle, right? All the chairs, all the computers are facing the wall uh, when, you know, you have to imagine they would want to be on the other side facing the capsule. So I, I don't know. It's it. I noticed that this time around that I've never again, it's never stopped me thinking about it. The best part of this is Peggy Carter for me, because when we get her reaction, when they walk in to the lab and he looks at her, Steve looks at her, she looks back at him and that look is, oh, right. We haven't maybe told you everything 
about what you're getting into. Like she you can tell all the way downstairs. She's not looking at him. She's not making eye contact with him. There's one cut where she's actually looking straight at his head. Otherwise, she's looking at the ground. She's looking up. She's she is uh, you feel like authentically now regrets that she feels like she was a part of luring him to something that's going to be, you know, as dangerous as she knows that it is. And now they have it's not just it the artifice of danger. They're looking at the tools, the implements of danger to his person. And I think that's great. I agree. I love there are actually two moments between Steve and Peggy in this scene that I think are glorious. The first is that eye roll. You're absolutely right. When she <laughs> he looks at her with that like, oh my God. And she just sort of rolls her eyes like, yeah, we didn't tell you. And right. off they go. <laughs> Um, the second is when Erskine looks at him and says, take off your shirt, your tie and, and your hat. <laughs> and the first thing he does is look at her and then she looks away. Yes. Yeah. Right? Cause he away. doesn't want to take his clothes off in front of her. He's right. embarrassed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And there's just, there's, there's, it's just that little sweetness of it. I, you, you wonder, was that the director? Was it scripted? Or was that just like one of those moments that was just perfect? And they just said, yeah, we'll keep that. Yeah. Because right, it's so in character. What the actors are bringing to it. Yeah. It's there's yeah. so much greatness uh, between the two of them. It is funny. And I, I'm glad you brought that up, Pete, because it does, as, as a, I was watching through all of this, I'm like, how much is Steve uh, aware of what is actually happening? What is a part of this thing? Like, does he have any expectations walking in here? Of yes, what I is know. what he's in for, and it's it's the look so on funny. His face is like like he's looking at the pod, and he then he looks at Erskine as if to say, "Have you seen this thing? This is horrible. Yeah. What are you about to do?" Uh, it's great. It's great. It's yeah, and that just, that keeps going throughout the next yeah. couple of minutes. We get other moments where Steve is just clearly not on the same page here. Yes. <laughs> the level of what's happening. I love that. I mean, we talked about this back at the start of the uh, the boot camp that that they were in, or the training that they were doing as the recruits, and how those clipboards that Peggy was packing uh, passing out were uh, last will and testaments for everybody. But it does make me wonder. Like after that, once they kind of whittled it down to just Steve being the recruit, what sort of additional paperwork did they end up having to have him do and sign to kind of commit to all this? <laughs> Because I, I feel like he is like signed on to a lot of stuff and he just has zero clue as to what is about to happen. It's very funny. But he's eager. He's excited to help. And this is his part. He's not he's not collecting scrap metal like Timmy. He is he's doing something else. So. <laughs> nice work, Timmy. Nice work, Timmy. I I feel uh, I feel like this it, this makes me think of to to bring us to current Marvel, the the latest trailer that we have as at time of recording, we haven't seen any of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, but the latest trailer it has, you know, our, our Professor Hulk saying, what's the Hulk's greatest friend? And then he says, spandex, and he's holding up giant shorts. And it's a cute, funny moment, and the trailer looks cute and funny. But it made me think about it in this movie, in this moment, because he takes off his hat and his shirt and his tie. But what about his pants? Like, he's about to be huge. There's no <laughs> way he's going to fit in little Steve's pants. That's a That's a question that... You know, we'll go answered later, but these are magic pants that he's wearing right now. I was wondering about that. We'll certainly talk about it more in the coming minutes because I have some more more questions yeah. about the pants and what's going on yeah. uh, with that. The pants should have come off. Well, I mean, th these, these these are these are the, the things that you just have to suspend disbelief about. Okay, yeah. <laughs> right for sixty years now, almost sixty years now, the Hulk has worn a pair of of 
purple trousers every single time he transforms from Bruce Banner into the Hulk. That's right. They're always right? there. Every single time. They're, they're always purple. They're always there, right? Um, and so you, you got to get used to it, right? Right. There's a thing, uh, Matthew. I, this is your first movie <laughs> movie by minute podcast. Is that true? Because what you don't know is these are the kinds of things you have to talk about when you're talking about a movie <laughs> one minute at a time, man. It's all we've got. <laughs> yeah. But we still suspend our disbelief. We yes. also we yes. also aren't surprised that they have an incredibly tight fitting T-shirt for him to put on before he goes out and chases the Nazis down the street. <laughs> exactly right. true. So, <laughs> oh, and it just happened to be one size too small for him. It was, exactly. It was perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> we did not plan accordingly. <laughs> I um going back to Steve though, I you know, and and his lack of understanding as to what's actually about to happen. I love the way that uh that Evans plays him here because like he doesn't say anything. Like Erskine uh, keeps talking to him and, and saying good morning and, uh, you know, kind of asking him things and talking to him about stuff. And through the whole thing, it's just a very one-sided and Erskine's doing all the talking and Steve is just looking around. He's just got this look on his face of like shocked uh, disbelief. And I think it plays really well uh, for the way that he's looking. Well, the question is, do, do you ever get the, the picture that that he plays him scared? Because I think that's important. Like, at, this is a terrifying experience, and I never get the—I get the sense that he's in shock and awe, but never that he's hesitating at all. I always get the sense—I I don't know if either of you have ever gone in for, like, a major surgery or anything, but it feels like that sort of look is on his face. Like, something big is about to happen. I have no idea what to expect. Uh, I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm here for it. But I just I don't know what to expect. And I just kind of feel like it's that sort of look like he's just going with the flow. The The people who are in charge are telling him what to do and he's doing it. Um, but he's just kind of like, you know, this is all beyond me. He may, in fact, be absolutely terrified. Right. He may. But. He is in a state where there is no reaction. There's just. Yeah. Yeah. Point. I will go. Point. I will go. Right. Which is the shock part. Which goes right back to the alleyway, right? That goes right back to the alleyway. He may have been terrified when he was getting his butt kicked, but there was a stronger emotion on top of that, that, right, the the scales were balanced in, you know, in order for him to be able to conjure up this, this the, the pride and patriotism to lead him to get in a fight that he will lose. The same thing here, like the, yes, it's probably terrifying, but at no point does it look like he's going to leave because he signed on. He's a patriot. This is how he's going to do his duty. Yeah, it's it's a I mean, it goes back to the conversation we were having the other day about the heart and the core of him. And no matter what, even if he is scared, he is here because he because it's it it is what he believes is right. Yeah. It is the representation of his opportunity to uh, to fight the Nazis and to stop the bullies. And that's that's what he's here for. So even if he is a little daunted by the uh, immenseness of everything going on in this room, uh, you know, he is he is going to take the challenge and um, not not back down from it. I love it. And he trusts the process. I think right? yeah. he trusts Peggy. He trusts Erskine. Erskine he trusts. Yeah. Um, the the colonel, right? Right. And so that that's part of this as well. I mean, you, you mentioned this before, right? When we see the red skull, the red skull is in his area, right? He's he's hidden away from everyone. He's alone occasionally, right? Um, 
Arnim Zola will come in and talk to him, but he's alone. We never see Erskine alone. We never see the colonel, and they're always surrounded by people. Yeah. Right? Or there are other people around. And here, this transformation that's about to occur includes a whole team of, of uh, technicians and doctors and scientists. There's a gallery of politicians and other people watching. There's a whole bunch of strange people upstairs with weapons and timepieces doing whatever they're doing. And so this is, this is a collectivity. It's a, it's a democratic process that is producing him as the super soldier. Um, as opposed to the Red Skull, who's simply taking the power from the Tesseract and putting it into weapons that he can then use himself, right? right? This is for his own aggrandizement. This is, this is more, right? And his individual terror does not rise beyond the democratic impulse to fight the fascist. And, I mean, you know, uh, Schmidt is also wanting to, uh, I mean, my impression is he's wanting to get Erskine back or to take the serum for himself so that he can kind of create his own, uh, in addition to the Tesseract, then he can have his own group of super soldiers. Right. So, I mean, like, he really just wants to, you know, uh, rape and pillage with all of the science, uh, you know, and just use everything for, <laughs> for more, more evil. That's his whole plan. He wants to rape and pillage with all of the science. Exactly it. That should go on a shirt. <laughs> uh, I love, uh, I kind of love the way that the photographer is treated. It, It's kind of sad. I mean, the photographer is there obviously to document everything, but he takes the one picture he gets a chance to take of Erskine and Steve and is dismissed, <laughs> summarily dismissed. Like, no, no, no. Not now. Get out of here. But he does allow us to move upstairs. Yeah. And that's uh, exactly it. Like as this conversation continues between Erskine and Steve, you actually can see the photographer, uh, you know, going up the catwalk and, and walking back up uh, to exit. I'm assuming that he exits and doesn't. I mean, we don't see him go into the observation booth, but we do. We go into the observation booth and we go in with Colonel uh, Phillips as he arrives to talk to the senator. The two of them are here and uh, politics, politics, politics. We get the little politics conversation between the two of them as to why we're here in Brooklyn. Uh, and this kind of goes to that question I had uh, yesterday about, uh, you know, the fact that we're here in the middle of the city. And it is interesting that, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I would think that they would have had this conversation before, but obviously it's it's for the audience. The fact that, uh, you know, Colonel Phillips had asked for extra uh, funding for those generators, but the so many people are asking for money that the senator couldn't give it to him. So, of course, here they are in a secret bunker in the middle of Brooklyn um, underneath an antique store because they need to uh, tap into the city's grid. Uh, I think that all of it just sounds so governmental and political. I love the way all that plays out. What did you two think of their conversation? I, I wondered why they didn't go to Texas, where they have a, a separate <laughs> grid that they could have used themselves. <laughs> um, <clears throat> right? Uh, but no, I mean, it's, it's 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 good. We I mean we get that 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 threefold thing. We get get the Colonel Phillips complaining about his lack of support. The politician with a standard answer, the senator says, everybody wants something from us right now. By the way, here's this guy from the State Department, Clem something. His name's Clemston, right? Um, right? And so we, we are introduced to these three characters up there at the moment. We've got the bureaucrat, the politician, and the military guy, right? All sitting there to watch what's going on. The bureaucrat wants to use this for something more than, than just right, publicity, right? He says, right? But we'll see where that goes <laughs> right, at some right, point right. in the future. Uh, the State Department might have been infiltrated by, you know, communists or something. We don't know. 
Well, since we did meet these people, I want to talk about them uh, briefly. Our senator, Senator Brandt, is played by Michael Brandon. Are either of you familiar with Michael Brandon and his work? Because uh, I can certainly try the IMDb game with you on him, but it might be hard. I'm just telling you. He's a face. <laughs> yeah, he's a character actor, but I, yeah. I couldn't tell you anything that he's been in. I mean, he's not even like a Struther Martin character actor. Where I could tell you like 37 films he's been in. Yeah, but. not even a bit. What's funny about him is he actually is from Brooklyn. So I love that he <laughs> his introduction to us in the film is uh, ragging on Brooklyn a little bit. Um, he is in uh, the the four projects that IMDb says he is known for is the show Episodes. Uh, he's on that. If either of you are familiar oh, with that show. Okay. Wasn't Episodes like uh, Extras? Wasn't Episodes the original Extras? Am I thinking of it? That's the thing? one with um, uh, Matt LeBlanc and... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's no, a little different. I've never watched A little it. different. Yep. Um, this is his second known for, Captain America, the First Avenger. The third one, Four Flies on Gray Velvet, uh, is a film that he was in that is a Dario Argento film. So interesting that he was oh. in that back in 1971. And last but not least, Gallivant. If either of you are familiar with that TV series, the very short-lived Dan Fogelman musical fantasy show. Dan Fogelman. Wow. So those are his four known for. Not a face. uh, like He is one of those faces. He's like an everyman. He pops up in these things and you see him. And he he works great in these sorts of roles as a senator, things like this. Um, Next is, of course, Richard Armitage, who plays, uh, at this point, we're just calling him Fred Clemson. Hello, Fred. Uh, Richard Armitage, are you too familiar with Richard? Would you be able to guess his IMDb known fors? It's going to be short. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I've only seen him in one film that I would think of. Well, I can I can do well, better than that, but one film. franchise. Yeah, I yeah, mean, he might as well have turned around and introduced himself as Thor and Oakenshield from the State Department, because that's all <laughs> I get from him. And so my IM, the extent of my IMDb game with him will be the Hobbit movies. Uh, uh, well, I can't even, uh, Unexpected Journey, uh, Mog, and Five Armies. That's, that's, that's it. That would be the place I know him from. That would be a great place to start because, yes, <laughs> all three of those are in his known for. Of course they IMDb are. agrees. IMDb agrees. Um, he also was in the film Into the Storm, which I oh, very... Oh, tornado movie. Yeah, right. Exactly. Very vaguely remember that as something that had been out there. Yeah, so it wasn't good. <laughs> but he was in like Ocean's 8. He popped up in that. He was in The Lodge, which was a great little horror film. Um, I don't know if either of you listened, but he actually plays Logan uh, in the Wolverine podcast. Uh, and I, he did a great job uh, as, as Logan. <gasps> no kidding. Oh, he's great in that. I really enjoyed him in that. And he was in a really fun, um, where was, I think I want to say it was a Korean film, Space Sweepers. Um, that was a Netflix uh, movie where they're kind of um, people who collect junk and everything. And uh, he was in that. That was a fun, a fun little movie that's worth checking out. Uh, so, yeah, Richard Armitage is here uh, from the State Department to to check in and make sure that all of this isn't just used for headlines. Uh, great little dig that he has there on the senator. Um, also, in the background, you do see he's actually talking to Michael Brandon, who is playing Senator. Uh, no, sorry. Um, he's talking to Martin Sherman, who is playing Brant's aide. And we'll have a little bit more of him later in the film. Um, so that's kind of the group up here, plus a bunch of other people who look official. It's kind of the place for official people to hang out and uh, see what's going on. And shun photographers. 
who have been escorted out. And uh, and make digs on the people down below, as we get at the end. <laughs> the senator throws a little, uh, uh, a little shade at uh, Steve, this scrawny kid down in the bottom. I would, do you, does it seem weird, though, that the senator seems so clueless as to what's going on? Do you feel like the senator would have a better sense as to why he's in Brooklyn and who this kid is? Not at all. <laughs> that feels totally that probably explains why he was unwilling to authorize money for more generators. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> he has no idea what's going on. No here. idea. So really, it's Brant's aide in the background, who's the one who actually knows everything that's going on and is the one who's just kind of like, you know, saying this, I, I can tell the senator this, but not this. Okay. I, you know, I can see that. Aides are the ones who generally are the ones who have a clue as to what's happening. Um, all right. I don't have anything else for this minute. Do either of you? I'm good. I'm good. I just, the, the one thing I like about this minute is our, our, the sort of the futurism of the set yeah. and that little deepening of, of the Peggy Steve moment that comes through, but it just, it, it's really transition in a lot of ways. Right, right, right. It hurts me that I have to let go of my staunch position on Peggy's feelings towards Steve, <laughs> but I, I feel like that, that ship is officially sailed. I, you know, I don't know. I'm going to have this conversation with you again. Um, in a few days, maybe next week, because I'm curious, would her feelings still grow and would she fall for him had he come out of all of this and been the superhero that we all wanted, but still had Leander Dini's body? <laughs> That's okay. the question. I'll, I'll have to really prepare my uh, my op prep for that discussion. <laughs> I'm just like, how much is, right. how much does that that chest that she seems so fascinated with, uh, you know, draw her in. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll have to get into that. We'll, right. have, to, we'll have to save that for later. Man. All right. Outstanding. Yeah. It would change the whole dancing dynamic. Totally. <laughs> it definitely would. Totally. Uh, Matthew, remind everyone again where they can uh, find more of what you're working on. Uh, you can find my, my book at all fine bookstores, uh, Remaindered, probably, um, for, you know, 25 cents a pound. Um, Secret Identity Crisis, The Unmasking of Cold War America. Uh, comic books, The Unmasking of Cold War America. Uh, you want to learn more about Captain America and Iron Man from the 1960s onward. Have you recorded the audiobook of it, though? I have not, although I just recently noticed that somebody has PDF'd it and put it up on, on, oh, on no, the web. No. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> Therefore, so, Matthew Costello's Venmo is... <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, you don't have to buy it. It's free out there now. Oh. Somebody posted it for free. Oh, so. these people. There you go. These people. Yeah. People. Yeah. You know, no, please go and support him by picking yeah, go, up your own go copy. Go get the stinky <laughs> yes. Come on. You know. Oh, couple. internet. <laughs> internet. <laughs> All right. We'll be back tomorrow for Minute 34. Until next time, true believers. Somebody get me a sandwich. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.